Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we're in one of those points of potential controversy uh, because we're going to be talking again about parenting. So this is our second installment uh, for all of you parents and wannabe parents. Uh, we introduced this in the first episode by what? what? They're wannabe parents. They're just not yet there. Is that bad? No, no, no. All right. We're good. We're good. Um, now I want to say there's, there's none not good. good. No, no, not one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We introduced the first episode by saying as clearly as we could that you have to be godly as parents if you want to raise godly children. And, and we really hope that you took that to heart. Everything else that we're going to say from this point on is presuming that you're rowing in godliness yourself. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to still stay quite broad on our topic, but we're going to begin to zoom in on that actual task of parenting. So the Bible makes this task relatively simple to understand. We're the ones that make it complex. There are two key commands in the New Testament that gives a parent uh, that, that is given to the parent to embrace and be faithful to fulfill. Hence, if you're a godly parent, you're going to embrace these things. So to the degree that you are faithful in these commands, you can expect a good result. It doesn't mean it guarantees it, but you can expect that. Uh, so we know this can sound a bit like some sort of formula uh, that promises you a, you a certain product at the end. If you do these 13 steps, you too can have a great, happy happy Christian children. And so we want to speak to that for just a minute. But before we do, we have some questions. You want to do that now? Yeah, let's, let, let's answer some of the questions because you can see in light of what I just said, how these questions are, um, that we're not going to try to give you a formula, but we are going to try to give some wisdom. How's yeah. that? So we have, by the way, as we're going through this, we'll tell you again, you can submit questions on parenting at our website, faithable.com. Yeah. Or if you go to our Facebook page, I think it's the first pinned post. You can yes. actually submit questions. So we've actually got a lot of questions uh, from people. And so we're just going to, we're going to grab a few, uh, maybe try and go through them relatively quickly. Um, so we got one from a listener who asks how and what to say when teaching children about communion and then sort of a follow-up, any guidelines for children taking communion. So what do you say? What would you say? Well, first of all, you got to teach them what it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. So the a way that, so a way that we do that is, so Naomi sits next to us in service during the communion portion. And every Sunday, either I or Lydia will grab the elements, and while we're waiting for the people to kind of sit back down in their seats, we'll actually explain to her oh, really? I didn't what, know that. what these elements are. So here's what the bread means, here's what the cup represents, and she normally just goes, uh-huh. But, <laughs> she, but she's getting How it. How old is she now? She's four. Four. Um, but she's getting it. You know, but I can point back to previous things we've taught her, like every night we're rehearsing, you know, what is 
Jesus cross or what is the resurrection right now we're leading up to Easter. And so it's one of my favorite times of the year. And so we're actually, every night we sing songs, me, her, and Levi, my son, that we used to sing at Tenebrae service. Oh, neat. So were you there when they crucified my Lord, or we'll do Trice Hagion or some of those. And they love it now. Every night we got to sing all these songs leading up to, to Easter. What but, a neat tradition. Yeah, but I'm getting to explain the cross, right, right. sin, disobedience, Jesus takes away our disciplines on the cross, those kinds of things. So then when we're sitting in service on Sunday morning, hey, remember when we talked about Jesus Christ dying on the cross? Um, I can explain this is his body. This is his blood. Um, but so just beginning to teach every single week and not one explanation and then assuming she's got it nailed. Right. It's just that regular week after week laying down that simple basic truth that at some point, Lord willing, she'll something will click. Right. And we, in fact, I along with that, I had a parent ask me about uh, communion for their child. Is it okay if they begin to take it? And I said, they haven't been baptized, so no. Um, behind this is the, some will disagree with us on this position, and I mean, each church is going to be its own, but we argue that it's a, an ordinance for a believer. So we wouldn't allow a child that's been unbaptized, uh, it's not made a credible profession of faith. Now, like my grand, one of my grandchildren has made a profession of faith and has gone through the examination pr process with us, and she's going to be baptized on Easter. Now she's allowed to, even because it's not her fault that she hasn't been baptized. Um, it's us saying, wait until it's baptismal service. But so she can take it. But what's interesting is because she's taken it, her, her siblings, her cousins are all noticing that too. And so a lot of questions like this are, how about me? Can I take it, mom? Can I? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, not until you're able to be, uh, until you're able to give evidence that you're a Christian. So then they're saying, well, then can I be baptized? And... So that becomes the challenge because you're you're trying to discern is this is the child just simply parroting the like what we taught on the the, the notitia and the ascensus or meaning the facts and agreeing to the facts of the gospel or do they actually trust in them and and so what you just said we, teach your children explain to them make it part of the life and don't treat it like they're somehow a lesser person because they can't take it but that is reserved for those who are able to show that their faith rests in Christ and and now expect some very awkward and but in a good way awkward questions on what does faith look like yeah you know it's that simple yep. so so any guidelines on that i would say no um, just they're a regular christian at that point you treat them as such so if they're if they're a christian they can partake of the elements would you let your kids take the wine or would you force the juice i was just going to say you uh, in our church, we offer both. So, because there's people with the conviction they shouldn't have any alcohol. So, we have juice too. I encourage the kids to pick that. Um, every once in a while, I've seen a kid pick the wine, and I'm like, they're old enough that they need to learn <laughs> what wine tastes like. <laughs> and so, it's kind of fun when they throw it back at, with everyone else, and you see their face screw up, and, and the next Sunday, they. Uh, are picking the grape juice. <laughs> uh, I do, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them having that, that little thimble full of wine, but yeah. I don't think they're going to like it, and I don't think the person in front of them will appreciate it. Do you, did you hear when I first drank wine? Yeah, yeah, the communion service, common cup, didn't know it. 
the lady had white carpet in her front room, and I spewed red wine throughout the living room yeah. because I wasn't expecting that. And, of course, I, I thought, wow, we got a whole goblet. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was, you'd chug it. I was pretty thirsty, so I took quite the, quite the gulp. It wasn't any small sip. It was, yeah, I got whipped for that. <laughs> yeah, anyhow. All right. Any other questions? So, uh, yeah, uh, another one. What, it, what is the role of women in raising kids? Uh, and then they ask in parentheses, can the husband ask a woman to work? Is that under the category helping him to raise the kids? Well, that's, that's kind of a big one. So we'll touch on it, but I don't know if we can be fully satisfactory on it. So what's the role of the woman uh, raising the kids? Well, first of all, she's the one that bears them, <laughs> right? Um, it, it, she's the primary caregiver. Uh, in the scripture. So she's the one that's going to obviously have the child, nurse the child, but she's the one that's at home raising that child. Um, and the husband is going to be the one who is then guiding her in that. So ideally, a husband is setting the standards, right, in a, in a home. This is what my home should look like. These are my uh, these are my convictions, and she should already be following those anyhow, as just as a wife. If she's a faithful wife, she's like, you know, she's married well, she's got a godly husband, and so she's already doing those things. And so what she wants to make certain is that she's not trying to raise her kids opposite from what her husband wants, so that there's this battle that when he comes home, it's there's a rule that's in place, but when dad leaves, we don't have to obey that. That kind of, that's ungodly. Yeah. Um, but I would also, though, the bigger question in there is, can a woman ask, a husband ask a woman to work? I personally, we might have a little bit of a disagreement here, but I would say, yes, my bigger issue would be why. Why is he asking her? Um, I, you know, Titus in 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2, 1 Timothy 5, both describe that uh, the older woman's to instruct the younger one to be a keeper of the home. Um, in Titus, what, 1 Timothy 5, it's the young widow, that she should be a, a home worker. She should be a house. Keeper. Keep, keep the home. Yeah, it's literally despotes. And um, then, yeah. Uh, or, Despot, yeah. yeah. So she's to rule that home, yeah. which which is more than just being somebody there doing some dishes. She's supposed to be running that household and learning all of the intricacies of how a well-run household should work. I, th I think that's where she should start. Um, and so I would be concerned if right away a husband's already looking at trying to get his wife outside of the home. It's like, to what end? Because now you have to hire Right, childcare. It's like you know you married. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have childcare. You, you know, I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a challenge. I mean, it is a challenging question because there's always interpretive issues in that, right? So the the Titus two passage says it's translated often as worker at home. It's actually one word in the Greek, and right. it literally could be home worker. So what is the scope of that? Does that mean that their primary thing is the home, and then? But then on top of that, if everything at a home is cared for, they can begin to stretch out a little bit and work outside the home. Um, and that that's the interpretive question. Now, you you face this, though, yourself, right? I In did. a very real way. I mean, it was it was a genuine issue for you. Yeah. You feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah. I mean, so it was a while ago. So I'd have to go back and I think to give a good, actually helpful answer, I, I would want to go back and study it. Maybe I can do that at some point. But the bottom line for me was I... I brought all my 
exegetical skill. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. <laughs> to bear on that text and to see if there was some type of loophole or whatever. Uh, and, and I walked away more resolved in my mind that the, the realm in which the woman is to work is within the home. And it was hard for me to then therefore conclude that it's permissible for her to then go outside of that. Sure. There are some cultural issues, right, that we talked about. Um, so you think about the Proverbs 31, right? Right. She, she, right. she works at home. That's her primary thing. But then also we see her doing industry. Um, yeah, she's expanding that household. Yeah. Yeah. So culture does come to bear on that a little bit. But the principle is, and I like the word you use, primary uh, place of work is to be there within the home, caring for it, keeping it, um, all the domestic affairs. It's it's exasperating. We can say, well, I'll say it this way. I won't speak for Matt. I'll just say it for me. It can be exasperating as a pastor when a wife is working, but she misses her children. You're like, you you don't have to work. Right. You know, husband, you, you bring home plenty of money. Um why is your wife frustrated that she has to leave her children and or that they're they're burdened because who's going to educate their children who's going to this or who's going to do that and it's it, or they're asking some other woman would you be able to watch my children it's like why are you having to ask another woman to watch your children when you're capable of staying home and and I find that a bit exasperating I, I because it's not my household so I can't look at the guy and say you're you're absolutely in sin but I think that you're not wise I think yeah. that you're making choices that you don't intend to be evil. I don't think that's what your goal is. I, it's not like, how can I screw things up? But that you're setting in place inadvertent roadblocks to that. My my wife, when I come home and I ask, I would ask her, how are the, fa how's the kids? I got not a secondhand report from our day, daycare supervisor who told my wife, who's now telling me, I got firsthand report. Kim would look at me sometimes wild-eyed, right? Yeah. She's like, you need to go talk to him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's going on? You know, so-and-so's lying. Uh, this one was punching. Uh, this one is doing this. And it's like, all right. And yeah. so I can go in and begin to address it. But I know that I have, if you will, boots on the ground. I have, I have a faithful helpmeet in my wife who was watching and caring and overseeing the, the hearts of those. There's those intangibles that you can't see when you're not there. I mean, you, your children can't see a mother who has her Bible open praying if, if she's at work, right? Um, they can't see her work and making breakfast and then having them come over and help them with breakfast. And here's how you make a sandwich, sweetheart. And, and having the girls sit down with them or boys, it doesn't matter. And, we're going to fold laundry together and just begin to teach them what industriousness looks like. I think there's so many intangibles of just practical training that are lost. Um, and that, and so instead of it becoming part of just life, those become special events where a, a woman says, well, I'm going to teach my kids on the weekend. And that's because she's just not there. So I, 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 I'm not, I can't say absolutely that you're in sin, but I would be very concerned with why a person wants to get out of the house and why a husband wants to get his wife out. I, I would want them to just really think about that carefully. Yeah. I'd also say, too, with the, the working at home and the industry expanding outwards, 
like Proverbs 31, it's a natural outgrowth of what she's already doing in the home. Yes. Right? So absolutely. she's making belts for the tradesmen and the linens and those kinds of things. That's what she's doing for her home. And so there's an opportunity for that to naturally expand out. But if, if the work that she's going for, and I'm a little bit conservative on this, I understand. So some won't agree. But if it's just a random job that is has no bearing on the home, you know, I would struggle with that one a little bit. I, yeah, I don't think that the concept of career. Right. Uh, but I, I also agree with, think about that with husbands. I don't think that career is really what your pursuit is. That's an American kind of idea. It's, it's faithful, industrious labor so as to provide for your household. That's what it is. And instead we go about career building. So think about how many husbands have made horrible decisions because it's good for the career but it's terrible for the family, right? You know, he takes the job that puts him right. on the plane, you know, 20 days out of a month, and, and then he wonders why his family has no respect for him or anything else. It's like, well, you're not there. Uh, so career building, I think, is just one of those fallacious arguments. But the thing I've always counseled people with is if she does look to go outside the home, um, at some point, maybe the kids are getting older, um, sure. or or the, and and so there's a time frame where she could do that, um, and that she truly sees it as value. If she's looking for personal fulfillment, then I think again there's a, something broken. You're looking at what God calls you to be fulfilled in versus what ought to f- be fulfilling. Right. Um, but so you expand outward, but you should always be quick and ready to, to yeah. And I would say a sign of when that should perhaps happen is when the husband is now having to pick up a bunch of slack and make up for what the wife or the mom is not able to do because of her career or her work or something like that. And now it's functioning practically in egalitarian terms where there's an equal sharing of that load where the scriptures declare, no, the, the wife or the mother is to be that primary or despot of yeah. the home. So when the husband's now having to always make the lunches, do the laundry, care for, just those basic things of caring for a home, that to me would be the sign that you perhaps you should start considering pulling back. Again, we're not saying that a husband wouldn't help do the dishes. Right. But when the wife is now bitter at her husband because she's had to go work and we might debate that word had to. It's like, you didn't have to. You chose to. But you, I, And now you want me to do dishes. You know, you need to help around here. Immediately, you've entered in a point of tension. And something that, in fact, Kim and I dealt with early in our marriage before we even had children was there was a time where I, I said, when are you going to come home? And she's like, I got to work late. Um, I'm like, why? And she's like, my boss says I have to work late and get this thing done. I, I told her no. And, and that after that, and she said, I have to, and she stayed at work. And at that point, I recognized something was wrong there. Because Even though I was still very young and immature, I realized there's two headships in her home, uh, in her marriage. There's mine. And then when she goes to work, she's got a whole different boss. And she actually, when it came down to it, she had to choose which one she was going to follow. She chose with her boss. And I'm like, I don't like that. And so we actually had a talk, and I said, in the future, you can ask me, but if I tell you no, then you tell your boss, and if he fires you, it's okay. If I have to get a second job, I'll get a second job, but no other man is going to overrule me in the, in the care of my home. And that, that actually was good because it set into motion things that then carried us 
So like when I went to call, went, went back to college, Kim was pregnant with our first child, and I determined that she would not work. She I, she would raise those children, and that meant I had to work and my tail end off, and I had to uh, go to school, and and th- there were just costs. So I accepted the fact I wasn't going to get a lot of sleep for the next ten years, and I didn't. But God was kind to us. Yeah. So yeah, hope that answers it. Yeah. So right. we'll we'll continue next time with some more questions. Yeah, we uh, have plenty. Yep, yep. And um, so what we're going to do now is to stay broad, right? We want to zoom in. The first thing we want to say is that God has hardwired creation in certain ways that if they're understood, simply just makes life easier. It's sort of like trying to swim against a current. It can be done, but it's hard. You can try to plant your crops in the winter, but spring is almost always better. Um, you cannot... You cannot cut wood for the winter, but you're going to likely freeze. You can sleep in whenever you like, but you're likely going to get fired. In other words, you get the point. There's just certain ways that God has made us to function. Now, that does not mean that if you plant in the spring or wake up on time every day that everything will work out, which is the point of what Ecclesiastes says, that everything is ultimately vanity and there's crookedness in this world, and that means that bad things happen even when you do it right. Having said that, though, it does mean that barring unforeseen events, when you do things in accordance to how God has made this creation to work, things tend to work out more often than not. And so if you don't see life under the gaze of God to be this way, then likely very little can be done to help you think and live. But if you do realize that saving money tends to increase your financial state and that not flirting with a woman who is not your wife will help keep your marriage intact, then we think we actually can help you. Uh, We say this because child-rearing is one of those topics that creates a lot of backlash from people, and it can be as simple as a tisk of the tongue and the very famous eye roll to an open mockery and complaining of one who is greatly offended that they might need some improvement on this subject because their pastor has suggested maybe they could work harder in that area. So with that in mind, we want to get, start by considering a very important and key command that every godly parent should expect. In fact, actually, they should demand of their children, and it's the command to obey. But this is not natural for the child to do since they are born under the power of sin, so it's a key task for the parent to teach them to obey, and this is a far-reaching expectation that's often downplayed by well-meaning parents. Yeah. So, First of all, let's give a couple passages, and then we'll focus on one that is critical. So in Proverbs 1.8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, In Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So you can see both parents in play there. Uh, Colossians 3.20, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So, Three simple passages there that are clear, easy to understand. Um, In fact, the last one in Colossians is very similar to the one that we're going to discuss here in a bit more detail. Uh, But the point is a child is to be obedient to their parents, and the key phrase is in all things. And so if, if, if you were to start right there, then as a parent, you would be starting in a very good position and perspective. But let's look at another passage. And this one comes from Ephesians 6, 1. And it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So is, is there anything in this passage that is difficult? No. Um, <laughs> no pre- I mean, I, you don't need to know Greek to know this. You don't need 
to know grammar. You don't need exegesis and hermeneutical classes. Yep. I would say. So, yeah, so the <laughs> subject the subject there is children. So he's directing this at the children. Um, notice it's not even necessarily parents get your kids to obey. It's children. You obey your parents. The command, of course, is clear again. It's to obey. And this is a command of habit. The child is to be in the consistent habit of obeying. Uh, so not eventually, not after several threats or pleadings or bribings. Um, and by the way, I when I worked at the the nonprofit, there were, one of the things we did with was parenting courses. Oh, really? And one of the curriculum that I despised was called One Two Three Magic, and it was the whole idea of counting one two three. And what it did is it just it it taught it taught your children to, to not obey the first. the first time. Yeah. Uh, and so counting is not a good technique. Well, it's funny because the child eventually obeys when you get to one two. Then three, that's when they obey. It's like, why don't you just save the one and two and <laughs> just, just expect it on yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what does your wife always say? Fast and first. Fast and first. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ask my children. They love that phrase. <laughs> um, now, the object of obedience here for the children is their parents. Um, and this is the first responsibility of every child. Do what your parents expect and what they say. This means that the opinions of everyone else is secondary to what the parent says. Um, notice that important phrase as well. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, that indicates that this is the realm then that explains what is happening. This is a Christian home, and therefore this is an act of worship and li living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you don't you don't do the commands, in other words, because you <laughs> agree with them. You, you do them because it's what the Lord of that household expects. Yeah, it's not saying you have to be a Christian to do it. It's it's a Christian home, right. and so you're doing it in the Lord. You're to do it under his lordship, and obviously the parents should be training you that, I'm sorry, this is a Christian home. We follow Christ, and therefore you will obey because that's what God demands. Yeah, yep. Uh, and then finally, if there's any doubt, Paul just leaves with that simple statement that this is right. Right. So this may seem strange, but let's ask a question. What is obedience? Uh, now, we bring this up because we find that people do amazing things with that word, uh, especially when it comes to their own situation or their precious little child. Uh, you want to see fangs and claws come out, just tell a parent that they need to bring their child under control. Oh, that's always a fun one. Um, it can be quite enlightening how they respond. But listen, obedience simply means to do what is expected of you. That's not real deep. But think about how complex we tend to make it. And this is the real mistake that parents make with their little ones. They make it so vague or so immovable that the child has no hope to learn obedience. So God told Israel that if they obeyed his voice and kept his commandments, they would live. Not if they would sort of obey, not if they would redefine the commandments and then do them because they agree with the redefinition. Just simply obey and keep. And if they did not obey, then there would be consequences. If they saw their disobedience, then there was a way of forgiveness, and that was through confession and sacrifice. And if they did not see their disobedience, then there would be certainly consequences. What's interesting is those consequences were on, in a sense, a sliding scale from minor to major. So you do this one, you have to offer up a, a dove. 
but you do that one, you get stoned to death. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. so you, you also, it wasn't all were the same level of egregiousness. Some just could not be tolerated and they were dealt with in the harshest of ways. And so we're wrong when we think that we or our children are somehow autonomous. We're not. The Bible is God's word and you cannot separate what it says and who God is. So if it commands something, then you have to understand that God is the one commanding it. And he commands a child to obey. And he commands parents to train and discipline and instruct their children. The reality is children will disobey. In fact, they'll do it a lot. So the, ch the parents then are to be the ones who teach them to obey. And they're to keep teaching them until they learn it and they learn it well. Yeah. What I like about that Ephesians 6 passage too is uh, he, he gives the command of, you know, oh, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And then he quotes the Old Testament, right? right. He says, honor your father and mother. And then in most translations, translations, it's in parentheses, it says, for this is the first command with a promise. So a lot of, a lot of the Old Testament commands were given, but under threat of punishment, Yep. right? But this one, there's all, all of a sudden a positive blessing, a positive uh, motivation. Um, so that if you obey your parents, it's not merely that you won't get stoned, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's like, you're going to live long on the earth. You're going to prosper. You're, God is going to bless that. And so to then remove yourself outside of that command is to buy into a lie that somehow bless, there's more blessing found outside. I remember with one of our children, there was a lot of disobedience. And as a result, there's a lot of consequences going on. And the child complained to me, um, not in a bad way either, just like, well, yeah, but so-and-so and so-and-so, -and -so, they don't have that. And I said, look, they're obeying. And so they get blessing. They get, we, we're going to reward that. We want you to learn that, that, that when you do what's right, there's good things that come your way. But when you go wrong, we want you to learn that every time you go wrong, it smacks you in the face so that you can learn to hate these things. And eventually that child started figuring that out. And and we were very quick the moment we saw them really starting to, not just externally, but with a heart, want to do what's right. Um, we would reward that praise, hugs, Absolutely, everything. Yeah. Because you're, you're like, you want to encourage that child yep. to see there's great good blessing in this um, and misery when you don't want to do it, yeah. which makes everyone miserable, but it doesn't matter. And it is a skill. And, it, and you have to change your mindset a little bit too. And I, I know that I've had to learn that one. It's easy to just say when your kid obeys, you say, good, they should have. Right? Yeah. But God doesn't do that to <laughs> that's us. That's a bad way to approach yeah. it, right? Uh, you should get good at praising and rewarding good, uh, good behavior. So it sounds harsh, but it's not meant to be. We, we marvel at parents who look at their kids in the teen years and beyond and say something like, you know, well, that's not what I taught them. Um, then that same parent with other children uh, of theirs will sit by and watch them complain, they'll lie, they'll pout, they'll grumble, they'll argue, they'll be lazy, they'll be unfaithful, so on. Um, and the excuse is that they just want to let the child explore his boundaries, right? Uh, I hate that one. <laughs> or, or they think that it isn't so bad or that, that excuse of they're just tired. Yep. Um, parents may experience the pain of a rebellious child in their adulthood, but they should not experience it in their home. Uh, it is the parent's home, and so they should model and teach obedience. In fact, even demand it. It's yeah. like, 
your life is going to be miserable if you don't want if you want to be a rebellious child while you're living in our home. Now, when you leave, I mean, if you really want to abandon, abandon. Again, it may sound real legalistic. It's not. It should be a very happy, loving, affirming home in every way. But it should also be met with the expectation that God is God expects obedience, and so we will too. Yeah. Um, and we would say that the very fact that that is radical today uh, yeah. speaks to how far the church has gone down that rabbit hole of compromise. So we read in the Old Testament that a rebellious older child was to be stoned to death, and we're like shocked at that, Yeah, right? Um, we read the story of Saul who obeyed, we'll say 90% of what God told him to do, but he didn't obey all of it. Um, in fact, let's just read it. Uh, understand that the command was to kill in this passage. It's to kill everything connected to the Amalekites. So that included men, women, infants, and all animals. And was that violent? Of course, of course it was, but it's also clear. Um, so we'll just read that passage. And yeah, then I'll, comment. I'll read it. Okay. It's, a, it's a long one. So, uh, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were not willing, that's a key word, uh, were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul and it was told Saul, Samuel saying, Saul, come to, uh, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you from the Lord. Oh, he's all happy. <laughs> hey, uh, I have carried out the commands of the Lord. But Samuel said, What is then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Saul said, Oh, they, they brought them up from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. You can hear I know. your four-year-old saying that, That's right? That's the rationalization. <laughs> yep. It's oh, for the Lord. Yeah, yeah, and it's the good ones. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to just kill them. Uh, then Samuel said to the Lord, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel said, Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord had sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekite, and have, uh, or king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed all the, uh, the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion 
is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So now, oh, oh, I better get right. I've sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to them. He's still distracted. It's, yeah. it, it's really the people's fault. I just feared them. And then Saul said to Samuel, I'm sorry, and now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Yeah, now that is a stunning passage. Um, but what it shows is simply the cost of disobedience. So as you kind of you pointed out, he confesses after the fact, right? But it doesn't save him from his consequences. Yep. How many parents will say, I'm sorry, I hear the kids, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry. It's like, oh, okay, well, don't do it next time. And we're, well, lo and behold, he does it next time. Yeah, but Samuel here calls it rebellion. Uh, and what's interesting is he equates it with divination and idolatry. Uh, and, and so the question is why? Um, well, first of all, because when you know what you are supposed to do, and then you don't do it. What that means is that you are claiming somehow to know the mind of God better than the actual word of God itself. And that is divination, yeah. point blank. Um, second of all, because you've exalted your own sense of right and wrong above God's expressed will, that then now is idolatry. Um, and so when the Bible calls us to teach and to raise up our children in the fear of the Lord and to be obedient, we would say he means it. Um, you know, we can go into greater detail on this, but this is sufficient for most. Um, God demands obedience. Yeah. I hope that's, I mean, that's a brutal story, but I think it's a great one. Um, so we're going to now go back and forth real quick with some applications to take away today. Uh, first of all, people usually ask at what age is the proper age to teach the child to obey? And the answer is very simple when they disobey. <laughs> no, that's, it's that simple. And that, we would say, is a lot earlier than parents might believe. Small children are quite capable of showing off their displeasure with what is going on. They scream and they fight and they let you know that they are not happy. And when you give into that, you are teaching them to disobey. So we would say that if you're asking this sort of question, you're probably already too slow on responding to disobedience. Um, another question is how much obedience should a parent expect uh, reasonably? And this is often asked from the perspective that the child is little and so he's going to mess up um, or that because he's a sinner that disobedience happens. Uh, another spin on this that we hear is that there's the need for grace. Um, the scripture does not give that sort of answer, however. Um, the fact that the child is a sinner is no excuse for disobedience. Um, it, now, it might be an explanation, yeah. but it's it's not an excuse. Um, grace is so sweet-sounding, but we would challenge that. How is it grace to let your child continue in sin? How are you as a parent showing your child the fact of their sinfulness by being permissive, which, which is really meant too often yep. in the use of grace? I mean, that's just essentially what's happening there. That does not mean that you do not 
that you might not deal with the situation in a unique way that does model grace at times. Sometimes parents become exceedingly rigid in the external form of parenting and they fail to understand the various situations. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we mentioned not to use the excuse being tired, but the reality is, I mean, if you've been driving for 12 hours to get to the vacation property that you're going to go, and at the end of that, the kid is just... I mean, you're tired of driving. You're already on edge, and you're a full-grown adult. You're going to want to show a little bit of kindness there that the kid has just been, it's been a long drive, right? You want to show that, or they're sick. Um, my wife has talked to women who try to use the excuse that uh, they're in their menstrual cycle, and and somehow that excuses them. And she says, you know, it gives you an excuse. It gives you a reason to sin, but it never gives you an excuse. And yeah. that, that one always smacks those ladies between the eyes because they've used it as their excuse. And so there is some grace. You're going to, right? Yeah. You want to show that. You're, you're, you realize it's been a hard day. Um, they've had a lot of disciplines here. But yeah. yeah, and, and I've, I think I've mentioned this on other episodes too. I think the best time to show grace intentionally is when the kid knows just point blank they've done wrong and don't deserve it. Yeah, and they're they're waiting for the discipline because they know it's coming and it's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I had one last night with with Naomi. Um, I told her to go upstairs and get ready for bed, and she's quite old enough to where she knows <laughs> she knows what that means. Yeah, <laughs> she, get, she knows what clothes to put on. She knows how to brush her own teeth and all these things. And I walk upstairs, and she's sitting on the bathroom sink playing in the medicine cabinet with toothpaste. <laughs> and I walk in and she looks like deer in the headlights. And I'm like, what are you doing? And Levi's standing on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and she knows, she knows she's busted. And I said, go in the room. And so she, we go in, she knows she's going to get a discipline. And she comes up to me and she's already like trembling because she knows she's done wrong. It's not even an issue of she didn't. I mean, you know when you're Yeah, she's not knows. trembling yeah. because you're going to abuse her. No, 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 no. But she knows she's done wrong. And so she, I said, so what What, hap what happened? She's like, well, Levi. <laughs> did, which then led me into, okay, now we're going to talk about blame shifting. We're going back to the garden, right? <laughs> um, I said, don't, oh, don't you ever blame Levi kids. for your sins and your disobedience. And she goes, am I going to get a discipline? And I looked at her and I just, in that moment, I made a decision and it's completely arbitrary, but I just said, I'm going to show you mercy. And she literally just starts bawling and hmm. she like puts her hand in her, her head in her hands. And I said, Naomi, why are you crying? She's like, cause you're not going to give me a discipline. And she was happy. I, in that, it relieved, I, maybe right. be a better word, but what, it, what was she doing? She understood mercy there. She understood. Right. She, she knew she was guilty. She knew she was disobedient, and yet she was shown that, if I can put it this way, that sovereign mercy. Yeah, um, because where I chose. It, it was totally right to receive the discipline. Right, but but you don't do that all the time, right? It's very rare. Right, because if not, then the teaching opportunity goes away. She's going to presume on mercy. Right, right, which is a whole other problem that many a parent or human does. Right. That's a good, that's a really good example. Um, so, yeah, so, so this does not mean that, um, yeah, that you don't deal with unique situations and model that grace. Um, but you should be always aware of how easy you can use that as an excuse to deal with the disobedience. Um, again, being, being tired may be true for the child, but that doesn't mean that they, 
shouldn't obey. Uh, being embarrassed or shy does not mean that they don't have to obey. That's one we're teaching as well. Um, it's really great at church, and I think people, are, they can get annoyed with it. Maybe they do. I don't know if they really do, but when someone will say, oh, pretty dress, or hey, Levi, or something like that, they get really shy and they want to pull into our yeah, leg or something, yeah. and we'll actually stop and make them look at the person in the eyes and say, say, thank you, you know, and what we're trying to teach them is you, you might be shy and that's fine, but you can't be controlled by that shyness. Right. Right. Um, so great evil is often inadvertently taught by <laughs> well-meaning parents when they give the child those countless ways to get around that simple task of obeying. Yes. So the next thing we'd say is start early. You can save yourself a world of sorrow if you do that. Expect, the expectations on, uh, on a one-year-old obviously will be vastly different than on a five-year-old. Uh, therefore, it's also a lot easier to begin to teach them, though. Give them three to four years head start by not ever expecting them to obey promptly, and you will then find yourself with a fight in your hands. And that's where we, I think we probably see it most as pastors is somebody who's got an eight-year-old is getting out of hand, and now they're coming for help, and we start talking about this. And so they they go home, and they're like, yeah, we're going to teach the kid to obey. Well, he's had eight years of training opposite. Uh, um, that's you've got to fight in your hands, and it's going to be hard. And so, we also, I all, at least I do. I always warn them it's going to be miserable. Expect that for the next two to four weeks, sheer misery in your home until they realize that you really mean it. Because a child is incredibly capable of outweighing you. In fact, I had an older guy tell me, Matt. He says you have to expect first time obedience every time, no exceptions. And because we were having some problems early on. And I said, okay. He's like, no, I mean it. He said, you have to understand that your children are willing to keep trying to disobey if they can get by with it one out of 10 times. They'll just keep working it because maybe this will be that. They're going to roll the dice on it. And I'm like, man. Uh, But he was right. And once I began to really exercise that more firmly, it was amazing the amount of peace we had in our home. So even if you have failed early in your childhood or your household, we would say, don't give up. The first thing you want to do, though, now you need to hear this, is you need to go and confess your sin to your spouse and your children because you've sinned. Explain how things then are going to begin to change. So everyone knows that dad didn't just come home with a new idea and stuff, but he's explaining. Here's how it's going to be, and it's because I have not been a faithful father or, or whatever. And then put them into action and get ready for that fight. Kids learn early on that parents will give up eventually, and so they'll work to exploit it. So it has to be a conviction, for nothing less than a true conviction will endure those absolutely miserable times that will come. Yeah. We'd also say make sure that your expectations are clear, reasonable, and then also broad. So, you know, don't make up rules on the fly. I do find it interesting that the Ephesians 6 passages is what, what one of two commands yeah. given regarding instruction to children, and they're not rules. They're it's principles. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, so we talk often about when they're at an early age, training them to hear your voice. Yes. Right? Not get all the rules down pat. Um, so we, we don't make demands out of anger, frustration. Um, usually you'll regret those ones. Again, if you start early, then you can establish standards in your home in a wise and balanced way. Model also what obedience looks like. This, this is such this is a good one to end on because it's 
huge. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing more exasperating to a child, especially as they get older and smarter (laughs) than, than hypocrisy in their own parents. Um, so does the dad jump down the throat of a son who gets angry, but then the dad spends much of his time angry himself? Does a mother nag and rebuke her children for not doing what they ought to around the house, and yet she herself will fight her own husband in so many ways publicly for the children to see and hear and witness? Um, This is a great evil and something that must be repented of. Right, right. So a lot of times in if you're not just starting out with parenting, the first step is that you've got a lot of repenting on your own to do. And part of that will be confessing to your children and putting some things away. So we're going to stop right there for the time. We think that's enough. We'll pick it back up with another key command, which is that of honor or respect. And after that, then we can actually begin to give more practical tips on how these work themselves out in the typical home. But remember that parenting is one of the greatest tasks you will take on in your lifetime. It is a holy task, and it's worship. And therefore, it, would be under, it will be under constant attack by Satan in every possible way. In fact, my mind just went to the, the question, you know, working outside the home. I think that's one of the subtle ways that that attack comes is how can we get the parents disengaged from their children? Um, you know, and, yeah. and, and we have to jealously resist that, that we should be engaged to the hearts of our children. So one couple committed to honoring the Lord in this way can accomplish so much that's good. They can actually begin to raise up warriors and kings rather than fools and sluggards. Uh, they can set into motion multiple generations of faithful men and women who are standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we would say, be that person. Well, we hope you were helped with the episode. Share it with others if you don't mind. We have plenty others to come. Uh, but until then, make certain to tune in, join the conversation. If you have questions on the subject of parenting, drop us a note. We told you, go to our Facebook page. It's pinned at the top. Uh, Instagram, you can send us via our website. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm-hmm.